The contents of the lab report are meant for educational purposes only and are not meant to be misconstrued as medical diagnosis or treatment advice. Today on The Lab Report, Dr. Nicole Avina. Yeah, PhD neuroscientist, and we're talking sugar today. Sweet. Oh. The world of medicine can be challenging. Clinicians and patients are always looking for more options, more effective treatments, and in the end, more answers. Functional and integrative medicine focuses on addressing root causes of disease. Here at Genova Diagnostics, we've watched this field evolve and grow for over 35 years. We've not only adapted, we've led. Join us as we talk about functional medicine, laboratory testing, and optimizing health. Welcome to the Lab Report. I remember telling my dad, it's like, what? Dad, there's, there's nothing good about sugar. What? There's nothing good about sugar. You told your dad that. Yeah, and he goes, well, it tastes good. <laughs> Hello. Hey, Michael Chapman. Hi, Patty Devers. How are you today? I'm living my best life, of course. That's great. How about you? I'm perfect. Oh, good. I mean, perfectly content. I'm not perfect. <laughs> Let's just be very clear about that. Well, I'm glad you're here. Welcome to the Lab Report. Welcome, everyone, to this podcast brought to you by Genova Diagnostics, where we talk about things like functional medicine, mm -hmm. specialty lab testing, yeah. integrative therapeutics, wow. and the like. And if you like this podcast, you should mm -hmm. go to iTunes or Spotify and subscribe and rate and review. Leave us some feedback there. Sorry for telling you all the things that you should do. We do that a lot. Yeah. Uh, but uh, we're, what we're trying to say is that helps us. It does. We appreciate it. Yeah. If you, We would appreciate it if you did those things. And if you have feedback... You can send that feedback to podcast at gdx.net via email. That's right. Well, today is a topic very close to our hearts, sugar. Mm. And we have a PhD researcher in neuroscience, Dr. Nicola Vina, coming on to talk about it. Yeah, sugar is tricky mm -hmm. uh, because it's, uh, as my dad said, it tastes good, but yep. it's... Uh, it, turns to be somewhat of a metabolic disaster in a lot of ways, <laughs> but, especially in its pure refined right. form. But the neuroscience behind it is impressive around addiction. Yes. And how, you know, it's not like other foods where, you know, you crave things. We had an episode on craving. This is a little bit different because it's actually happening in your brain. Yeah. And it's all about the reward system and how your neurobiology gets essentially hijacked mm -hmm. when you're consuming sugar in a similar fashion as if uh, so many of these other addictive substances. Yeah. And Dr. Nicole Levine has been studying sugar and its effects on the brain for quite some time. She's well published on this topic. So we decided to call the expert. And given the fact that we're on the heels of Halloween, it Ooh. just seemed prudent. Yeah, it's a great it's a great topic. So we decided to call the expert, Dr. Yeah. Nicole Lavina. All right, let's do that. And Michael, you know, we're going to dive into sugar here with the expert, Dr. Nicole Avina. I'm excited. I know. Let me tell you a little bit about Dr. Avina. Dr. Nicole Avina is a research psychologist and neuroscientist who is an expert in the fields of nutrition, diet, and addiction. She received a PhD in psychology and neuroscience from Princeton University, followed by a postdoctoral fellowship at Rockefeller University. Dr. Avina presently holds a faculty position at Mount Sinai School of Medicine in New York. She has published over 90 scholarly journal articles on topics related to diet, nutrition, and overeating. Her research achievements have been honored by awards from groups like the New York Academy of Sciences, the American Psychological Association, and the National Institute on Drug Abuse. 
Dr. Avina is the author of several books, including Why Diets Fail, What to Eat When You're Pregnant, and What to Feed Your Baby and Toddler, where she reviews the research on food addiction, as well as the nutritional effects on brain development and behavior. Hmm. Her latest book, What to Eat When You Want to Get Pregnant, is due for release in the spring. Dr. Avina regularly makes public speaking appearances to discuss her research and discoveries throughout the United States, Europe, and Asia. She is regularly asked to speak to special interest groups, industry groups, and schools. She has appeared on several television news programs as well as daytime TV shows, including The Doctors and The Dr. Oz Show. Dr. Avina's work has also been featured in many popular national newspapers and magazines. And with that, welcome to The Lab Report, yeah, Dr. Welcome. Avina. Thanks for being here. Oh, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, you know, here in functional medicine, a lot of what we do is it's rooted in diet and lifestyle changes. And we talk a lot about that on this podcast. Yeah. And as a PhD in neuroscience, you chose to focus on the nutrition side of things and how that affects the brain. So like, what drew you into the nutrition side of neuroscience? Well, it's really kind of interesting. I was interested initially in decision making and trying to huh. get a better understanding about why people make certain types of decisions that might not exactly be the best ones for them to make. If they have, you know, information that they're presented with that would suggest that maybe it's not a good idea. Mm -hmm. And right. I focused on nutrition as kind of a tool to better understand that because I feel like our diet and what we eat is really a series of decisions that we make. And a lot of times that's influenced by outside things like our environment, what we have available, our food choices. But we're finding more and more now that a lot of that is not so much in our control. A lot of the choices that we're making about our diet are actually influenced by our brain. Mm -hmm. And we don't always have, you know, full control over those types of decisions. See, and that kind of feeds into what we talk about here in functional medicine, this behavioral change and the why and the how. And so that's really interesting. Yeah. And you've also focused on addiction. You're kind of an expert in the field of addiction. And I think about how, how much that is to a certain extent, similar patterns from a neuroscience perspective as what we talk about, you know, with respect to our cravings and, and food addiction in a way. Yeah, that's really where we drew a lot of our initial research ideas from was looking at the addiction literature. And so mm -hmm. when I first started studying, you know, food and the brain, it became pretty obvious right away that something was happening that was related to addiction. When we started to look at some of the patterns that were out there in terms of preferences, dietary intake. A lot of people were talking about processed foods and sugar. Mm -hmm. The way that people would talk about, you know, being addicted to cigarettes or being addicted to alcohol, a lot of the same types of experiences that they tried to quit, a lot of the same types of cravings. And so we really initially borrowed a lot of our research ideas from the addiction field. And that's where we kind of ended up, you know, doing a series of studies to eventually show that many processed foods can be addictive and they can show mm. the same criteria for addiction that we'll see with drugs of abuse like alcohol, cigarettes, nicotine, and things like that. Wow. Yeah. yeah, and even the TED Ed animated video that you guys created on how sugar affects the brain, I mean, that's been viewed nearly 10 million times yeah. and your lecture extensively covers that, that topic. Um, can you briefly just touch on the basic neurophysiology of the reward system as it relates to sugar? Yeah, I was really surprised about the TED Ed uh, lesson. It was kind of something that I did for fun. Yeah. It's great. Um, it's so great. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I mean, partially I did it 
because I wanted my kids to understand what I did for a living. Oh. And, I felt, <laughs> and I felt like a cool YouTube animated video would be the best way to, you know, get through yep. them. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, I've gotten a lot of great feedback from educators and just, you know, people in general about it because it's just basically a five minute episode of, you know, what sugar does to your brain. Mm-hmm. And really what happens when we consume sugar-rich foods, these, you know, highly processed foods that contain lots of sugars, the sugar enters our body and it activates our brain reward system. And so we have this system in our brain that was put in place to reinforce natural behaviors like, you know, sexual behavior, seeking out mates and, uh, you know, really as a survival mechanism mm-hmm. and food can actually activate that same primitive brain system because we need to eat in order to survive. So it makes sense that, you know, after you eat something when you're hungry, it feels good. Mm -hmm. But what ends up happening with sugar is it acts more like a drug of abuse than a food, Mm -hmm. because what we see with drugs of abuse is they can hijack that brain system, that brain reward system and set it into overdrive. And that causes a whole cascade of different changes in neurochemicals and gene expression and lots of other things that make it very difficult to reverse those behaviors. Mm -hmm. And so what we end up seeing is that, you know, over time, this vicious cycle emerges of binging and withdrawal and craving. And that's all related to these neurochemical changes that we see happening in the brain reward system, including changes in the dopamine system and the brain opioid system. Hmm. What are, are the signals different than with sugar substitutions like stevia or like artificial sweeteners like aspartame? Are they different? That's a really great question. It seems to be similar. It seems to be that it's the sweet taste that's activating these changes in the brain reward system. Mm. And so what we end up finding is that when we consume, you know, real sugar, you almost get a double whammy effect of dopamine release because you'll get the dopamine that's being released just by simply tasting the sugar when you get it on your tongue. But then there's a second wave of dopamine release Mm. that occurs when you digest it, when it gets into your gut. And so we don't necessarily have that second wave happening with a lot of the artificial or, you know, non-traditional sweeteners that are now available, but we still do get that initial dopamine rush and dopamine surge that occurs, you know, just from the response that we have to the sweet taste. That's interesting interesting to think it starts right in your taste buds versus in your GI tract. And it's, it's such a struggle too. You know, you wrote the book, what to feed your baby and toddler and like right on the back end of Halloween, like it is just such a struggle (laughs) at home to get the sugar out of the hands. And, uh, it's, uh, I don't know. It's just super interesting. There's a, you know, there's a rising problem with obesity. We all know this. Obesity is, for a long time, been steadily on the rise, and it can be attributed to so many different things, like portion sizing or decreased physical activity, and just generally the amount of processed food. Can you speak to the processing of food and how that relates to added sugar in like the the USDA dietary guidelines? Yeah. So you know, processed food is one of the big culprits, and it kind of goes hand in hand with added sugar because. When we look at the different processed foods that are available in the grocery store, the majority of them contain some form of added sugar. And, you know, this is done for a couple of different reasons. Sometimes it's done just to make them taste better, right? Because Mm -hmm. a lot of times when foods are processed, you have to add chemicals to them to make them not spoil. Mm. And, you know, they don't always taste that great. So adding sugar can mask some of those tastes that might not be quite so palatable to us. Um, and so we also see sugar added to products just simply to make it taste sweeter so that people will enjoy it more. Right. right. And then that uh-huh. will make them want to buy it over and over again. Right. 
Um, so that's one of the challenges that we see when it comes to, you know, buying processed foods and shelf-stable foods is that it often does contain a lot of these added sugars, which we know can be, you know, really detrimental to our health, not only from the neuroscience standpoint in terms of causing us to want to overeat them, mm -hmm. but also from the metabolic standpoint. There's so much research coming out now linking sugar intake to metabolic diseases to, you know, increased risk for mortality and morbidity. Um, and so it's really something that, you know, we really need to think about when we talk about trying to cut back on added sugar. It really means cutting back on processed food in general. Yeah. Yeah. And I often wonder, you know, how much of that is interwoven, especially when people are going on like low carbohydrate diets, you know, the fact that by nature of going on that diet or the ketogenic diet, they're have to eliminate processed foods as part of that because it just doesn't fit. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I remember when the Whole30 came out a couple years back, I thought that it was a great idea, but I was like, oh, this is just cutting out all the processed food. That's why people are losing weight and feeling great. Mm -hmm. And so I don't necessarily think it had anything to do with eating like clarified butter instead of margarine. I think mm -hmm. it was just the fact that, you know, you're cutting out all those processed foods. And when people do that, they inevitably end up cutting out a lot of added sugar. Um, and, you know, I want to point out that by no means do we need to cut out all sugar. There's plenty of sources of sugar in our diet that are really healthy, like whole fruits, for example, like apples, you know, bananas, the things that we enjoy, grapes. Mm -hmm. Those are a great source of sugar for us to consume because they also contain fiber and they contain other nutrients. And they have a dose of sugar in them that isn't, you know, going to set our brains into overdrive like it would if we consumed a candy bar. Mm -hmm. And so when people hear about, oh, I have to go sugar free, they get a little bit nervous sometimes because they think, oh, my gosh, I can't have any sugar. It's not about not having any sugar. It's about having the right sugars and right forms of sugar and, you know, consuming foods where the sugar naturally occurs. And I think the best source of that really does come from from whole vegetables and excuse me, whole fruits. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I appreciate that because I think there is some confusion around the nutrition labels that we see on foods that it's really parsing that out as added sugar and not necessarily just sugar. Yeah. And that's one of the big changes that we've seen with the new nutrition facts label that's been rolled out. And I'm pretty sure it's on most products at this point. Um, one of the biggest changes was that it's now required that companies disclose how much added sugar is in the product. Mm -hmm. um, so one of the things that you have to keep in mind, though, that's a little bit sneaky that the food companies did. It, this is, again, to, you know, avoid the fact that they would have had to put that the food product maybe contained, you know, 100 percent of your daily value of added mm -hmm. sugar was that they started adding some other types of sweeteners in addition to sugar. And so many of these, you know, non-nutritive sweeteners like stevia or monk fruit sweetener, um, they don't count as a sugar per se in the eyes of, you know, the USDA. And so that's something to keep in mind. If you're looking to cut back on your sweetness intake, you might want to make sure you're familiarize yourself with the names of all these different types of sweeteners that are out there because, um, we're finding that a lot of products are being sweetened with sugar plus an artificial sweetener or sugar plus a non-nutritive sweetener. Um, erythritol is a big one that a lot of food companies are now adding in addition to sugar just to keep the sweetness up, but to keep the you know numbers a little bit lower when they have to report how much actual added sugar is in the product. Yeah, that, that's sneaky. Yeah. the way they do that. It but, is. But I know. But <laughs> I know. I know that the 2021 USDA guidelines will will be released soon. How are they changing, and how do you see this changing over time? 
Yeah. So one of the big changes that's expected to come based off of the preliminary report that's been provided by the steering committee that is holding you know, the changes in mind is that the recommended amount of daily intake of added sugar is going to go down even lower. And so right now it's recommended that we only get about 10% of our calories from added sugar each day. And that's going to be reduced down to 6% of our calories from sugar each day. Mm-hmm. And so it's not a lot. I'll tell you, if you take a look at what you had for breakfast, you may have had more than 6% of your daily calories. Right, right. If you had, you know, a yogurt Sneaky. that has sugar in it mm-hmm. and, you know, um, a bagel with like, you know, cream cheese, it might have a little sugar in it or something like that. So it's very easy to go over that amount. And I think one of the big lessons that's going to come out of these changes is that people really need to educate themselves to better understand what kind of alternatives and changes they can make in their diet so that they can reduce sugar. We're really seeing that the long-term effects of excess sugar intake, especially among children, are having lifelong medical and psychological impacts that are very, very difficult to rectify once they're in place. And so starting kids off and, you know, having young adults and adults just make that change to try to reduce their sugar intake, eat healthier, make better choices is really the way to go. Mm. And just to follow up on that, what are those associations? Is it sort of like an increased likelihood of mood disorder in children with a higher consumption of sugar? Or what, do, do you know the, the details of that? Yeah. So there's been some studies that have been looking at cognitive functioning. Um, and so, you know, looking at exposure to excess amounts of sugars early in life and finding that it can have an impact on, you know, cognitive outcomes, how well children can focus, how well they're doing in school and things like that. Hmm. And so, again, these are avoidable, right? I mean, just simply by educating people about the importance of having a healthy diet and avoiding, you know, too much added sugars and too much processed foods we can eliminate many of these problems that are plaguing our society, not only, you know, from that aspect, but also just thinking about, you know, the metabolic diseases and the other conditions that arise due to having an unhealthy diet for the majority of your life. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I really think that, you know, another big focus from the 2021 dietary guidelines is this focus on early life nutrition and having moms and dads and pregnant women and little kids really be the focus of our nutrition efforts, educating them about the importance of how we need to eat well in those first thousand days of life. That's the point from conception through age two, because we've learned over the years that there's so much that happens in terms of long-term health outcomes that are related to nutrition during that critical window, not only for cognitive functioning, but also for immune health and just general health um, overall, we're seeing that this is a critical window of intervention where the, we're going to be seeing a lot of focus in years to come. That's yeah. fascinating. Yeah. And, you know, as a mom yourself and author of What to Feed Your Baby and Toddler, how do you suggest that parents introduce sugary foods in a, in a healthier way? Yeah. So one of the things that I talk about in my book, um, What to Feed Your Baby and Toddler, is that it is very easy to introduce sugar to your baby at any point. So why start now? Just put it off. You don't need to give your baby sweet treats or cupcakes or cookies. They're eventually going to get it from grandma when you're not looking or from the (laughs) teacher at school. So my advice, and this isn't, you know, you're not trying to be a mean mom or dad. You're just focusing on their health. I advise when parents first start feeding the baby solids to focus on vegetables Mm -hmm. and, you know, really don't even give sweets like apples and bananas. Um, 
until the baby is, you know, re- regularly eating vegetables and has shown a, a preference for them. Because think about it. If you were a baby and, you know, I gave you a whole bunch of peas to eat, you might say, oh, these taste great. I love the texture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is great. But then if I gave you an apple after that, you'd say, oh, forget the peas. Give yeah. me the right. apple. Right. Exactly. Let's forget this. And so that's called, in psychology, that's known as negative contrast. Mm-hmm. And huh. that's a normal psychological, you know, principle that occurs and. It happens when it comes to food. And so it happens with babies. And so I think we really need to um, space out the vegetables and fruits and have the lead with the vegetables. And if you want to offer a fruit, I off, you know, I often suggest people use that as a dessert and maybe give it at the end of the meal in just a little bit. Um, and I think that's great because you can then train your baby's palate to like these you know, types of tastes that aren't necessarily preferred once they have a diet that's oversweetened with too many fruits. Yeah. And then when it comes to the older kids, like the toddlers, and, you know, they're going to start to want to have sweets and things like that. I, I certainly don't advocate, you know, abstaining. I think it's important for kids to, you know, taste these things and enjoy them and have them in moderation. But I think the more important thing is to teach your children what moderation looks like Mm -hmm. and to teach your children to police themselves so that when they are out of your hands and when they're in school and when they're adults and they're making decisions on their own, they'll be able to think about it as a health decision, not a decision about, oh, that tastes good and I want it, so I'm going to eat it. Yeah. Um, Mm. So I think it's just it's a delicate balance. But in the book, I give a lot of different tips on, you know, things parents can do and um, you know, different things that have worked in different scenarios with eating out, with schools, with dealing with grandparents um, and birthday parties and things like that mm. to help people navigate through it because it's not always easy. Yeah, it's definitely a challenge. And I love that you look at it through the lens of the psychology and the neuropsychology behind the reward system because you're right. Like it, at the end of the day, sugar ultimately, I mean, it is a drug, right? It's something that's been extracted and processed in the same way that that drugs have been extracted and processed. And so we should be thinking about it that way. But I, but I also feel bad for parents, right? Because they think they're doing the right things oftentimes. And like you said, there are misleading labels. They don't have the same education. The guidelines haven't really guided them. So it's really tricky. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm just super thankful to have you here and have you discuss some of these topics. It's been really enlightening. And before we let you go, I hope you don't mind if we ask you one additional question. Mm -hmm. Oh, of course. uh, It's a little bit of an off-topic question. It's Hmm. something that we like to call the fireball question. (laughs) And here it goes. Okay. question (laughs) is uh, today, how do you feel about soup? And do you have a favorite kind of soup? Oh, Uh I love soup. I Yes. So... My favorite soup is very seasonal. So I live in, you know, northern, the northeast. So we have seasons here. So I can enjoy the different types of fresh vegetables and different Mm -hmm. things that are in season. And so right now my favorite season or my favorite soup is butternut squash soup. I love that. Good one. Especially if there's pumpkin added to it. Oh, it's just so good. Yeah. That's that's a good one. That's my favorite. Yeah. That's probably my favorite. (laughs) I'd say that's my year-round favorite, but I only like to eat it when the squashes are in season and it's, you know, fresh. So, yeah. I love it. I love it. Well, Dr. Avina, we can't thank you enough for coming on the show. And we want to encourage all of our listeners to check out some of these books, Why Diets Fail. It's fascinating. What to eat when you're pregnant and what to feed your baby and toddler. And we're going to have to have you back in the spring when your new book comes out, What to Eat When You Want to Get Pregnant. So please promise us you'll come back. Yes, I'd love to. I would absolutely love to come back and talk to you guys. (laughs) Well, thanks, Dr. Avina. Have a great day. Thank you.
So you know what else is interesting about that? That it's all in your brain chemistry. Like we talk about these neurotransmitters like dopamine and serotonin. Yeah. Right? And sugar just really stimulates that in a way that other foods don't. Yeah. And it, I mean, it makes sense in a way because like, man, sugar, it came from sugar cane, right? Which was, had all this fibrous hmm. material. It's like something that people would chew on. Yep. And then we extract it into this powdery white substance <laughs> right? Yeah. that acts and behaves like a drug does right. and affects your neurochemistry in similar patterns. Um, it only makes sense that we're going to have mm-hmm. a natural inclination to one to con- continue to consume it. And on the flip side, it tastes good. Right. And the, and the scary part is that, like we were talking, it's in so many processed foods in a hidden way that you don't really even know about, which is even scarier. Well, and what I found fascinating was when she mentioned that because of the actual processing of foods, mm-hmm. it makes the food actually less palatable because it's like, it's almost, it's more fake, right? right and it right. doesn't taste, so like we have to add all this additional seasoning and sugar and salt and all these things on top of it to finally right. make it taste <laughs> like food again, you know? <laughs> Like we've engineered this chemistry set and now we've right. got to somehow make it taste good. So we're going to add all right. this ridiculous stuff to it. And, and I was intrigued by the fact that things like aspartame and stevia act in the same way. Yeah. Uh, the question I am curious about that, you know, maybe it would be a follow up question or mm-hmm. something we can look into is like right. it, it may be affecting your neurochemistry in similar sort of fashions and that your body is actually really reacting to the sweet taste. Yep. But does it also have similar effects on pancreatic function and hmm. overall metabolic function? function, hormone signaling and things like that. Well, I've, I haven't, I, I've heard people talk about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't dug into the literature around it. So maybe that's something we can do for a follow up. I was just going to say, well, that sounds like another episode. And the other thing I really like that she talked about is hmm. how to train moderation or how to, how to get your children to understand the concept of moderation. Yeah. Um, you know, that really resonates close to home because Sugar is just so tricky and with you know, kids. I remember you saying that you weren't giving your kids sugar, but as soon as you gave them, you know, as they got older, you oh, gave yeah. them the sugar. It's it's this amazing reaction. Okay, so here's that what happened. Visually see. Here's what happened. Go. So my daughter's three years old. It's uh-huh. back when she was three, and we're doing Halloween. So right. it's like the third time, and now she's like she's starting to understand a little bit about the process of it. Right. We're going from house to house to house, but she's like she's never had sugar before, so right. she's like I don't get it. Like, why are we going from house to house to house? <laughs> this is annoying. And so finally we decided, okay, well, let's give her one lollipop. Wow. And like the minute she realized, like, I go to this house and I get th- something that tastes like this, See? game over. See, that just speaks to the whole, like, addictive brain chemistry piece of this. Yeah. That's really intriguing. And she gave us this look like, you've been holding out on me for three years. <laughs> How dare you, Dad? Next time on The Lab Report, we're going to talk all about a little vitamin called B12. Yeah, what is it? Why do we need it? How do you get it? How do we measure it? And am I deficient in it? Maybe. You've been listening to The Lab Report. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast, rate us, and leave us a review. To learn more about Genova Diagnostics, visit our website at gdx.net. There you'll find information on specific testing, educational resources, and how to connect with our show. Call us at 1-800-522-4762 or email us at podcast at gdx.net. So seriously, you're withholding sugar for years, and the first thing you're going to give them is a lollipop? That's really lame. Well, we just grabbed whatever we thought of out of the bucket. I mean... 
you can't just go r- after three years of absence. <laughs> you can't go right for the the Butterfinger oh, sure or the could. Snickers bar. I would. It's going to be overwhelmed. It's going to be way too much for yeah. that little pancreas. I guess as an adult looking back at it, I see your point, but really a lollipop, it's just super lame. Look, hmm. for a kid that's never had sugar before, right? a dum-dum is basically condensed fairy dust on a stick. <laughs> can't beat the root beer dum-dum.